I joked last week that these sermons are harder to preach because people rarely walk out church singing during the sermon series. <laughs> um, it's been good talking to some of you guys. have been very honest and upfront and saying, this is really hard stuff to listen to, but I'm glad you're preaching it because I need to hear it. Um, last week, we talked about just the enormous need, uh, and unless you're burying your head and sort of in the sand, uh, we live in a time in which there's enormous need everywhere. It's not just a recent hurricane and, and the devastation that caused. And you just see in picture homes obliterated and people out on the streets, so on and so forth. Um, it's, we live in a very palpable, tangible time and with enormous need all over the place. And, and, and the call of God on the church, you and me, followers of Jesus at this time, is to shine even brighter by our witness and our witness specifically being unbelievable generosity. Now, we've got a long way to go from where we are to get to that point because it's not just being reminded that um, this is a good thing to do because there are various hard sort of intertwining spiritual things that are related to why we're not generous. It's not just about more information. There's a reason why we act completely irrational. When it, can we all agree that we act irrational when it comes to money? <laughs> yes? Do you, ever, do you ever notice and really sit down and go, it is irrational the way we act, think about towards money. It really is. And the reason is because it's intimately tied to our hearts. Okay, so if you weren't here last week, here are four questions that we asked about um, generosity. Which of these two statements create the most anxiety in you? There is no God, but there's no money in the bank. I just talked to somebody today, and she was so honest, man. She was just like, Pastor Peter, look, I've got nothing. I have no family. I have no money. God is all that I have. To which I thought 98% of new communities like, that ain't me. <laughs> we have so much. Have you ever been to a place where literally you were forced to ask this question? What if there's no God? All right, here's the second question. Does fear of not having enough impede your ability, your willingness to give? Have you done this exercise? You know, you, you see the devastation of Hurricane East Coast, and there's ask, people asking to give, donate. And so you go, oh, I should give. And you pull out your checkbook. But as soon as you, then you go, but what if? What if I lose my job? What if the economy tanks again? What if the check from mom and dad doesn't come or grandma, whoever doesn't come? What if? And we, we, we what if our way of going, oh, it's got to go back. And I'll talk about this a little bit in a moment. We actually think we could control the future. Wow. How delusional is that? How delusional is that that we think we could control the future? And one of the ways we think we control the future is by making sure that I have what I need. Because if I have what I need, surely I can't stop. Can surely I could stop cancer. Surely I could stop divorce. Surely I could stop car accidents. Surely I could stop all these other things. And you sit for a moment, pause, a moment of clarity and go, I can't stop any of those things from happening. What the heck am I thinking? And yet, the way we act, I want to control the future. What if? Here's the third question. Do you have money in your bank but not peace in your heart? I said this last week. How much, how much peace can you squeeze out of what's in your bank? Which maybe some of us are like, I got zero peace because I got zero money in the bank. Or some of you that do. Come on, be honest. How much peace can you squeeze out? You can't. You can squeeze out little good, some good times. You can squeeze out some nice things. You could squeeze out some memories. But you can't squeeze out peace. Anxiety. Here's a fourth question, right? 
How hard is it for you to do the right thing when it's going to cost you financially? I said this last week. Somebody came up to me and said, I quit my job. Six figures, but I quit my job. I said, why? She goes, because I've been forced to do things that I don't believe in, that, that, that essentially forced me to um, do things that, that, that are basically at the, against the core of who I am, and I just got tired of doing it. No amount of money was able to keep me from continuing to do things going against my integrity and my conscience. <laughs> and I said, how long were you there? She goes, eight years. I was like, oh, <laughs> eight-year battle of weekly, monthly, like, Why? Because if money's competing for your heart, it's hard to do the right thing. It's hard to do the right thing. See why Jesus talked about it so much, you know? And Jesus, 11 out of 29 parables in the New Testament, over 2,000 verses, you know, four times more than heaven helped put together. The topic of money continues comes up. And in case, by the way, you're a new Christian, not a Christian, came with your friend, um, and, and you're sitting there going, see, this, I don't know, I don't want to come to church. The pastor's going to talk about money. And you have pictures, if you're like me, you know, you grew up in the 80s and 90s of televangelist, the televangelist on the picture going, give your money to Jesus, i.e. me. So we, and you're going, ah! rightfully so. And you turn off the channel. Jesus never asked people for money. He did it once. But he was actually to make a point about giving to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And then he gave the money back. God never asks for your money. And I said this this morning. The reason is because if he wanted your money, he'd take it. (laughs) The IRS does an amazing job of taking your money. You don't think God's more powerful than the IRS? God doesn't want your money. God doesn't want your stuff. God wants something else. He wants your heart. You know why? Jesus said it this way. In Matthew chapter 6, talking about money, you can serve either money or God, but no one can serve two masters. It's amazing. Jesus compared competition of our loyalties, not to God and the devil or God and Satan. He said you can serve God or money. He says your heart is ultimately going to be very closely associated with your money. He said it this way in uh, uh, Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is there, your heart is also. You guys, don't gauge my spirituality. Don't gauge how you so spiritual you think I am, how much I love Jesus, by what I do on Sundays or how underlined my Bible is or how I talk. You won't know how spiritual I'm really doing unless you saw my MasterCard statement, unless you saw my checkbook. You know why? Because the thing that your heart loves, my heart loves, the thing that we really adore, the thing that we really live for, if you really want to see what that's about, you can't gauge it by Sunday morning, couple hours, people worship. If you really want to gauge it, follow your money. Because your money essentially ultimately reveals, my money reveals what our idols are, what we really live for, what we really desire. If you really, really want to know where you truly worship, follow your money to where you easily Without even thinking, hesitation, just spend your money. It just flows. It's like following root back to the tree. You don't have to have a lot of it. Many of you don't have to have a lot of it, but follow where your money goes, and you'll see. The, people in our country talk about worshiping the Almighty Dollar. We don't worship the Almighty Dollar, but it will show you what you truly worship. Do you see that about yourself? Do you see how your true worship is idol of security, idol of status, talked about idol of these other things? 
And God comes along and says, I know your money is closely related to your stuff. And God goes, I don't want to compete with your stuff, okay? I don't compete with your stuff. But I know that if I have your stuff, then I know I have your heart. And the clearest expression of whether God has our stuff is how radically generous we are to what God cares about. And many of us, to be honest, this morning are sitting here going, God might have a piece of my heart, but a big part of my heart, something else is someone else is getting. And the big part of that we talked about last week is security. This morning, the 11 o'clock service, you guys get like good, good sort of snippets because after 9 o'clock I hear all these stories and somebody came up to me and said, I'm so glad you talk about security, Pastor Peter, how we put our money in security and we think we control the future. She goes, do you know so-and-so? I go, yeah. And she goes, his house burned down yesterday. I'm like, what? She goes, yeah. He had his new fiance, his wife, I said, their house, I'm like, house burned down? Yeah. Remember when it like rained for like 10 minutes yesterday? A lightning? The lightning struck their house and their house burned down. But see, the thing is, you and I, we save and save and what I want to give and I, a little bit of me. We actually think we can keep things like that from happening. What makes you think you and I can control circumstances? What makes you think you could stop cancer with money? Stop divorce, traffic accidents. Steve Jobs had more money than you and I will ever fathom. And he couldn't stop cancer. What makes you and me think we could control circumstances and feel secure because of what we got in the bank? That is a height of ludicrousy. Ludicrousy, idiocy, ludicrousness. Height of bad judgment. (laughs) Are you there? Am I there? I think many of us are. You have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. And we hoard and for me. I'm like, what? I think it looks downright silly to God if you want to hear the truth. And God sometimes is going, (laughs) oh, you're so cute. I'm serious. I think that's all good because I, I saw him with my children, you know. I don't go, you're so pathetic. I just, I, you, you know. So 1 Timothy chapter 6 or 17, you guys, is, is where we 17 and 19. For three weeks, we're just spending time on this as our main text and, and looking at other passages. 1 Timothy 6, 17. The question we've been asking is, are you generous? Am I generous? And you're going to get a whole new definition, right, CC, about what that means today? Because some of y'all sitting here pretty going, well, I tithe. Well, I give. I'm generous. Other people need to hear this sermon. But for me, I don't. Well, we'll see about that today. First Timothy 6.17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who so richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Verse 19, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. 6.17, command those, Paul says, who are rich in this present. Remember we talked about this, how many of y'all think you're rich? We all should be raising our hands, shouldn't we? I mean, I said a handful of people, they're genuinely poor people in our church, but a lot of us, do you know? Here are the signs you know you're rich, okay? I just jotted down. Um, do you get like two weeks to do absolutely nothing and they actually pay you? 
It's called vacation. You're rich. Um, do you actually pay people to take care of your children? There are people in this world going, wait a minute, what, what? You like go out for two, three hours and you pay somebody to come and watch and you call that baby? What? <laughs> here's, here's the third one. Um, do, you, do you have an extra room in your house and call it the office or the guest room? Do you find yourself in this market actually going, um, the market's pretty bad. I don't know if I can sell my house. And there are other people going, you have a house? Um, here's another. Do, do, you, do you say stuff like, oh, my, 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 my computer crashed. I, I could only use my backup laptop. And then if that crashes, somebody go, and I got to use my extra, extra laptop. Anybody? Anybody? Y'all laugh. That's right. That's right. Do you, do you say stuff like, you know, I could, I could only afford one Starbucks a day. You know you're rich. Lastly, I just, this, this, uh, this young lady came up to me. She goes, uh, oh, by the way, thank you for the sermon series. And I, oh, where you, I won't be here next week. I'm like, oh, where are you going? And she's like, oh, my husband and I are going to India. I'm like, India, mission trip? No, just to go. I'm like, you're rich. <laughs> you know, we decided to flit off to India for three weeks. Who does that? Say it with me, rich people. <laughs> Come on, don't be self-righteous. I'm not judging. That's you and me. There are people, right, Daniel, in this church that are genuinely poor. Genuinely poor. Who heard just the list that I talked about and they literally sat there and go, that's not me, that's not me, that's not me. I wish I had a computer. But many of us, we think, if we're like rest of America, 50% of the people surveyed said, unless you make $150,000, you're not rich. And 15% of those people said, if you make a million dollars, you're rich. And we fall for that and we'll go, oh, if I only had, if I, and rich is a moving target. Well, I'm there. No, I thought I was rich. No, I'm there. Oh, no, I thought I was. Oh, I'm there. Paul says, hey, rich people, don't put your hope in wealth. Put your hope in God. And then he goes on, verse 17, not to be arrogant about the open wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. God who so richly provides us with, say the next word with me, ready? Everything. Say it again, ready? Everything for our enjoyment. And here's the most fundamental thing that Paul says about money, and we're going to go. Okay? Oh, this is what we're, and by the way, it's not the word enjoyment. <laughs> I just thought, Paul, God gives us money so we can enjoy it. No, no, no. It's a couple words before that. God provides us with what? Say it with it. God provides us with? The question that you and I wrestle with today is this. Who owns all that you have? You? Or God? Who owns everything that you and I have? You and me or God? Is your perspective in life? I work for it. I, I, I sacrifice for it. I deserve it. It's mine. Or is your perspective God who provides us with everything? Our third child, Noah, is loving his favorite word. And the word, it's amazing. When you teach your child, go, da-da, da-da, mama, mama. And then the third word, I swear to you, the third word they learn is not thank you, not 
You know what the third word they learn is? It starts with the word M. It's a four-letter word. It's a word? Mine. See, y'all know, right? Y'all know. It's the word mine. And I was telling you in the morning service, Noah, man, he says it with conviction. <laughs> He's like you and me. He says it with conviction. You know, Parker was like, mine. That's mine. He didn't have another sibling. Sophie was, it's mine. Noah, it's mine. <laughs> and he'll let them know. <laughs> we laugh. But C.S. Lewis in his book, Screw Tape, Screw Tape Letters, has Uncle Screw Tape saying something. That's very profound true, isn't it? Humans are always putting up claims to ownership, which sound equally funny in heaven and in hell. See, Jesus, it's not just arrogant. He's, he's just downright silly. And listen, I don't want to spend a long time on this. Let me just give two, three examples of how we don't really own anything, and you buy into the old myth of ownership. Daniel, the apartment that you live in, is that your apartment? It's not your apartment, is it? You pay rent to some landlord, isn't it? Yeah. Do you own a house? Is it your house? The bank comes in. Thank you very much. You stole the bunch of We don't own our houses. Are you kidding me? Look at the housing crisis right now. The bank came a calling and said, dude, it's not your house. Just in case, just in case you forget. It's like, your cars? Do you own your cars? And some of you smart Alex going, of course I own it. I paid for it. It's all paid off. For most of us, you still paying car payments? Who owns your car? And here's the other thing. Just, just blows the myth of uh, ownership. I've been to a lot of funerals. The most recent one I went to. The casket is the same size at every funeral. It's just enough for a human body. I've never been to a funeral where the casket was large enough for his house, for his car, for his clothes. for every- Why? When you come into the world with nothing, you die and you leave the world with what? And in between, we go, mine, I own, it's, we own nothing. But this isn't just a practice. Spiritually, when you say, I own, it is toxic to your soul. It is toxic to my soul. Here's, a, here's one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, which is where we're going to be parked most of today. First Chronicles chapter 29. Open your Bibles to First Chronicles chapter 29. It's in the Old Testament. Good luck finding it. It's right before Second Chronicles, okay? First Chronicles chapter 29. Um, it, it was written, guys, uh, a long time ago. Around 2000 B.C. is when this event takes place. And here's the context, okay? And then we're going to jump into it. One of my favorite, favorite stories. Um, king David. You guys remember King David? Goliath. and The King David. So King David is sort of towards the end of his life. He's about retirement age. And King David has fought battles. And he has won battles. There are no more enemies to be fought. There are no more battles to be fought. King David is at the end of his life. And he is in a place where he is king. And ruling over the most powerful, the envy of the world, kingdom of all kingdoms. Okay? Nation. And King David is in his nice garb, nice robe, in his palatial palace, overladen with gold and silver and everything. And one day he walks out, and he, one day he walks out, he notices where the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God is housed, and it was in this tent called Tent of Tabernacles. So King David looks out and he goes, wait a minute, here I, clothes and palatial structure, and the presence of God, the thing that's the presence of God is in the tent. And David says, this isn't right. 
So what he decides, he goes, I'm going to build God the most incredible palace that is worthy of his name. All these pagan nations of these guys build this most incredible palace. And he decides that he wants to do that. And then he prays. And then he gets an answer from God. God goes, David, I have news. You can't build a temple. Why? You've lived your life as a warrior. You've shed much blood. David goes, what? God says, but I have a better solution. I'm going to have your son Solomon build this temple for me. Now, I just thought about this. What would you have done if you were David? What would you have done if you were David? Would you have been like, what? I, uh. That's what I would have done. You know what David does? He goes, okay, God, you know what I'm going to do then? If I can't build a temple, he says, I'm going to hire the best architects. I'm going to hire the best workers. And then he goes, I'm going to literally raise all the money, every single penny of it, needed to build this incredible temple so that all Solomon has to do is just come and build it. And where we find our story today is exactly at the beginning, where David has assembled the nation of Israel. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 1, listen to what it says. The king David said to the whole assembly, my son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man but for the Lord God. With all my resources I provided for the temple of my God, gold for the gold, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise, stones of various colors, and all kinds of fine stone and marble, all of these in large quantities. Verse 3, besides my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God over and above everything I have provided for this holy temple. 3,000 talents of gold, 7,000 talents of fine silver for the overlaying of the walls of the building, for the gold work and the silver work and for the work to be done by the craftsmen. Now, who is willing to consecrate himself today to the Lord? Guys, look up real quick. Historians say that the money that David actually raised was about $14 billion. And if you listen carefully to the text, almost all of that came out of his personal treasury as king. This is a temple that he is not ever going to see when he's alive. He is literally giving for something to something that he'll never see in his lifetime. People in our culture love to give if they get that little stone that says Mr. So-and-so. And they could look at it and go, I get it. David is giving $14 billion of his thing to something he will never see in his lifetime. Look at what happened to the rest, though. Now, who's willing to consecrate himself to the Lord? Verse 6, then the leaders of the families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of the thousands and commanders of the hundreds and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. How much? Look at this. They gave to her the work on the temple of God, 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. Any who had precious stones gave them. Verse 9, the people rejoiced at the willing response of the leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced greatly. It's almost like David, he would want nuts. He just went nuts. He just went nuts. Generosity like took hold, and it just spread like wildfire. And they said, oh my gosh, you're going to give that much? And they literally said, I'm going to give this much more. You're going to give that much? I'm going to give it. They literally competed against each other. Two could be more generous, and they love doing it. What would our church be like if that happened? 
what would our church be like if we joyfully and cheerfully started outdoing one another in terms of how generous we became to God and his causes? <laughs> tell you, it'll change the world. That's what will happen. But then the most important part is then David begins to pray and listen to his prayer. Verse 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. You know what David's saying? Oh, this is all about you. This is completely and utterly all about you. And then he goes on. He goes, For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Everything in heaven and earth is yours. All the national treasure stuff, all my, per- all my personal treasure stuff, everything in heaven and earth is And then he takes it further. And this next part, so convicting. Yours, O oh Lord, is the kingdom. Yours, O oh Lord, is the kingdom. Who's saying this? It's David, who is king over this kingdom. And you're going, well, what's the big deal? I'll tell you what the big deal is. Since he was a teenager, wee little teenager. David had given his entire life to build this kingdom. He has begun his entire life. He has given up blood, sweat, and tears to build this kingdom. He has sacrificed everything for it. He has utterly devoted his entire life for this kingdom. And yet, at the end of his life, he looks at the thing that he gave his entire life for. And he doesn't go, and mine, because I work so hard for it. He says, what? Say it with me. Yours is the kingdom. Some of us are sitting here. And we look at our little accomplishments, our little kingdom, our business, or academically, or whatever. And we go, well, it's kind of you, God, but it's kind of me too, you know. I'm serious. How many of you got successful businessmen and women here? How many sitting there going, God, it is all about you? It's your business. And then a little party that says, but I want to take credit. Some of you here academically, you're a fine institution doing well for it. How many of you are sitting there going, God, it's all about you. Yours is my achievement. Yours is my success. Yours is my accomplishment. Your, how many of you do? And a little party that says, but I, I'll tell you why this is so important. You ready? Because do you know how essential this is to the Christian life? See, I'm going to tell some of us why today and diagnose why you keep hitting a ceiling in your relationship with God. You keep hitting the ceiling in your relationship with God. I'll tell you why. Fundamental to the gospel. Fundamental to the gospel is this knowledge that we are saved by what? Grace. Fundamental to the gospel is a gospel of grace. And what is grace? Grace says everything is a gift. Everything is a gift. I didn't earn it. I didn't merit it. I didn't work my way towards it. I didn't try harder than anybody. Fundamental to the gospel is a gospel of grace. It's everything. And it's not just forgiveness of sins. But everything in my life is a gift. And when that's running in your veins, your spiritual life will be characterized by awe, astonishment, joy, gratitude. Flip side of gospel of grace, though, is this thing called works righteousness. Works righteousness is I earned it. I worked hard for it. I worked harder than anybody else. I went. And when that's running in your veins, 
I worked for it. I earned it, so I deserve When that's running in your veins, it slowly begins to eat away and is toxic to your spiritual life. Now, check this out. You ready? There's nothing more visible and tangible on whether you function from grace, everything is a gift, or I work for it earned, than your approach and your attitude towards your success and your resources. There's nothing that's more telling in terms of whether you function from I did it or God did it than what you think about your resources and your success. Let me put it this way. Vast majority of us struggle with entitlement. Yes? Yes? How many of you think, I deserve? Can we be honest? I, yeah. Do you know why we do that? We think we're entitled because we don't recognize that God holds the title to everything we have. Everything in heaven and earth. Okay, keep going. Verse 11. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, God, verse 13, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. He flat out, David says, look, everything that I have is ruled of your hands, which means your strength. That means anybody who is extraordinarily successful and talented in some company is because it's a God, gifts of God, talents of God, God enabled them. Anybody who has done anything in terms of achievement, success, financially in the area, they look, they're able to look back and go, God, I'm going to take a step back and go, and it is a result of your hands, your strength, your wisdom. Now, you guys, I'm just thinking about this story. And I got to, when David is up there saying this prayer, I got, I got to imagine, there might have been probably some generals who fought with them and saying, time out, David. You're acting a little over-spiritual. David, I was there when we fought against the Philistines. Come on, man. I was there. I was there with the other generals. And you sat there and you blew us away with your wisdom and your strategic skills. And you implemented that. We're like, whoa, it was your strategic skills, wasn't it? General said, they're going, David, I was there. When you gave that speech to thousands of Israeli soldiers and they got up the courage to fight because of your eloquent words. I was there. David, I was there. When you sacrificed everything that you had, you threw your life in that. I was there, and you're telling me right now that all of that was because of God? To which David said, what? Yeah. Yeah. You're sitting there going, but Peter, I had some part in, yeah, we'll, we'll get to the part that you played in a little bit, okay? Verse 14, but who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. We've only given you what comes from your hand. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Look, can I just, can I just bring this down to just practical level for you? How many of you are where you are today because you were fortunate enough to have the family that you do? Raise your hands. How many, how many of you have had anything to do with the family you were born in? Answer? We didn't decide what family we were born in. Okay, how many of you guys, relatively academically and successfully, you know, business, how many of you guys did relatively well because you've been able to stay relatively healthy? 
did you have anything? To, see, this is when works righteous goes, you darn right, I have something to do with my health. I exercise, I eat right, blah, 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 blah. See where we go so quick. How many of you guys were able to do well? Because of the brain, personality, opportunities that seem to come out of nowhere. Answer? I'm just, I'm just, listen, you guys, I, I didn't say this. Do you, does anybody in this room ever just sometimes just step back and go, God, all the gifts that you, I don't deserve any of this. Anybody? Do you ever just sit back and go, God, why me? See, I'm not all that spiritual, but this week, preparing this sermon series, like, I was overwhelmed with that. I was just overwhelmed with God. Why do, why do I get to pastor an amazing church with amazing people? Why, why, I didn't. <laughs> God, why, why do I have an amazing family that, with beautiful, healthy kids? God, why do I have friends and relationships in my life? Because the Lord certainly knows. <laughs> certainly knows the way Peter acts sometimes. See, I even talk myself in like third person, you know what I mean? I kind of a big jerk, that kind of jerk I am. I'm a very difficult person to be. I'm sitting there going, why do I have amazing family and friends that continue to love me? Do you ever just sit there and go, God, all of this I have, what did I do to this? And how often though do we go immediately go to, but I deserve, I don't have, if I own. I go, you know how we do that? Is that the core? We don't go, God, everything belongs to you and everything comes from you. And then the most important part, watch this, guys, verse 16. All this abundance that we have provided comes from your hand. Hey, can I just ask you something? When's the last time you said, God, all this abundance come from your hand? Because you know how most of us, if you're like me, I go, God, I want to be a good Christian, so I'm going to tithe 10%. And then deep down inside, I go, God, so leave me alone, okay? <laughs> Come on, be honest. Anybody? Anybody? Anybody do that? Not? Yes? How, how many years ago? How much of my money can I keep, you know, and keep God? How much? How, how often do we go, oh, that's what we think in percentages, and I'm going to talk about that. Percentages have nothing to do with being generous or living biblically. But we do. We think biblically. But listen to, so listen to what he says. Verse 17. I know my God, and this blows me away, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these I've given willingly. Listen, pay attention. Everybody look up here. This is on David says, God, I've given you generously and abundantly. And then David says, that's because you tested my heart and God and wanted to see not if I was cheap. Not if I was stingy. God, you tested my heart to see if I was honest, if I was a person of integrity. Now, you have to, if you're thinking person going, that doesn't make any sense. If you don't give generously, that's being stingy and cheap. It's not being dishonest and being a thief. Well, the question, though, is it all depends on who you think your stuff belongs to. Because if it belongs to you and it's yours, of course it's being stingy. Like, I don't want to But check this out. If it's not yours... And all that you have is God's. That means our relationship to all that we have is as a manager, as a steward, as a stockbroker. If a stockbroker, 
got a lot of money from his investor, and he said, I'm going to do whatever the heck I want to. Does the investor go, why are you being cheap? The investor says what? Why are you committing fraud? You guys, if there was a Securities and Exchanges Commission in heaven, and there might be, <laughs> Janice, you may have to prosecute once with heaven. I'm saying, she's an attorney. You guys, do you ever, this is massive. I know, for some of us, you may need to hear this like a hundred times. Massive, because like, you're sitting there going, I thought it was about being cheap. I thought it was being stingy. And you, you're telling me, Peter, that not being generous is like robbery, it's like thievery, it's like being dishonest and lacking integrity? And the answer in the Bible is yes. Why? It's not yours to begin with. Holy cow. Holy cow. By the way, for those of you that are passionate about justice issues, this is the reason why you could be passionate about justice issues and you could say it's a matter of justice, not a matter of stinginess. It's a matter of justice and doing with God's resources what God intends. Some applications and then we're done. Here we go. Oh, one passage, Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. God speaking to Israel, he says this, will you rob God? He doesn't say, why are you so stingy with God? Why are you so miserly with God? Why are you so cheap with God? He says, while you rob God, you rob me in tithes. And offerings. Failure to give to God's causes and God's wishes and desires is not just stinginess. God says it is about justice, integrity, and honesty. You guys grew up in Sunday school? I'm going to ask you to do hand motions with me. Ready? Come on, participate. I'm too cool for this. No, you're not. <laughs> Everything belongs to God. Say it with me. Everything belongs to God. Second slide. Everything comes from God. Everything comes. Come on. It's not that silly. And third, everything is a test of stewardship. One more time. Ready? Everything belongs to God. Everything comes from God. Everything is a test of stewardship. For some of you, it's just going to be practically... I'm going to talk about next week what that means for a lot of us, many of us. It's attitude adjustment. You have to do a massive attitude adjustment from I'm thinking like an owner to I'm thinking like a steward. I'm thinking like an owner to I'm thinking like a steward. I'm thinking like an owner, I'm thinking like a steward. Here's the difference. Owner, first of all, ownership says money is mine. Stewardship says the money is God's. Ownership says the money is mine. Stewardship says the money is God. Ownership says... The money is mine. Stewardship says money is God. Stewardship says I came into the world with no money, and I'm leaving the world with no money. That's just practical common sense. And everything in between, God's given me as a manager, steward. Ownership, though, says this. Look, man, I came into the world with money. I graduated college with no money. But I've made lots of money since college. Why? Peter, I worked harder than anybody else. I was first to the job. I made the right connections. I worked my tail off. So frankly, I found this whole sermon offensive so far where you said I had nothing to do with it. Let me ask you a question. Stewardship then says, when you went to work, did you have a body? Answer? 
I hope you could say yes. <laughs> you had a body. So worship says, when you went to work, did you actually have to use your brain to do the things that you need to do? When you went to work, were you able to breathe in air, which is a vital component, by the way, of being able to do your work? Yes? Yes. And I can go on and on and on. Stewardship says everything that I have ultimately is from God, including my money. Ownership says I work for it. I earned it. Listen, if you worked harder than anybody else, I applaud you. God applauds you. If you leverage your resources, leverage your family background, leverage your college education, God applauds you. God loves that. Unless and until we get to a point we say I work for it, therefore I deserve it, and so I'm going to keep it. Second thing about stewardship and ownership. Ownership says, I get to decide what I want to do with my money because I own it. And stewardship says, God gets to decide what he wants me to do with his money because he owns it. It's all about perspective. It's all about perspective. I have a financial investor, okay? Imagine this relationship with my financial investor. Imagine I give him some money. He makes a ton of money. And I go to this financial investor and I go, oh, by the way, the incredible money you made, you get to keep 90% and give me back 10. You think he'll sit there and go, that's a bad deal. <laughs> no! Imagine you're selling your house, selling your house and giving the 90% of your sale, whatever, to the guy that helped you sell it. You keep the 10%. You think the guy that helped you sell the house is going to go, 90%, that's it? And yet, when it comes to tithing and giving, why is it that you and I go, 10%? This is what I want to give to God, and I'm going to keep perspective. Is it yours? Does it belong to you? Because if you do, you're going to struggle an awful lot with, I don't. But if you go, wait, all of this is from you? All of this ultimately comes from you? I, this is a phenomenal deal. Matter of fact, I think I'm being a little stingy. It's a phenomenal deal. That's why sometimes I feel like when we struggle and go, oh, God sometimes looks like, good Lord, good, you're so cute. Okay, third, ownership says the focus is on me. Stewardship says the focus is on God. Ownership says it's my money, so guess what I get to do with it all the time? I get to spend it on me. It's money that I learned. Sure, we get a generous feeling once in a while. Some of you, to relieve your guilt, you're going to go, hey, man, this sermon really convicted me. Let me pay for your lunch today. Someone really convicted me, dude. Let me buy your coffee today. Some of us need to begin there because, frankly, we literally spend zero money on anybody else but us. This isn't all that mysterious. Do you want to know if you're spending money on you on God? Seriously, check your checking account. Look at your MasterCard statement. I want you to go home when you get it. Check off the things that you spent for you and then circle the things that you spent for other people. And next week, come and tell me how many checks you had and how many circles you had. It's really easy to follow. What is our attitude? Come on. What is our attitude? So in bulk, and I'm serious. Some of us, we just kind of do this whole thing. Well, I'm going to give this much. They're going to get to spend the rest. And God goes, oh, it's not about percentages. It's not about percentages. You want to know what God cares about? You want to know what God's causes are? You want to know what God wants you to invest in with his money, his resources? You want to know what kingdom mission, kingdom assignment look like? There's at least four, and there's many, many more. Here's one. Worship, witness, and nurture of God's people. God cares about the fact that you give generously to support ministries, local churches, 
parachurch organizations, mission organizations. God cares about the fact that you give generously to people people and organizations that help people spiritually and physically. It's absolutely critical you do. Secondly, God also cares about the fact that you give to the poor. Third, God also cares about the fact that you give to individuals with material needs. And fourth, this is going to convict some of you, God also cares about the fact that you give generously to your family. Take care of your family. Listen to what this verse says in 1 Timothy chapter, uh, ch- ch- chapter 5. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Are you a Christian? Do you have non-Christian family members? And for whatever reason, you go, I'm not going to support you? You know what the Bible says? It is all the more important that you support your unbelieving family members because that's the way that they get to see the unconditional love of God in you. Some of us sitting here going, Peter, you don't, my, are you kidding, my mom, my, 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 my brother? Look, use some wisdom, but if you're sitting here today and you've withheld for whatever reason supporting your family, and if the reason is, well, if they would just work as hard as me, recognize how you even got to where you are. Don't be self-righteous. Oh, that hurts. Me, that is, not you. Fourth, ownership says I am accountable to no one. Stewardship says I am accountable to God. I'm serious. If this sermon isn't really hard for you because you're sitting there going, Peter, I will be accountable to not you, not anybody will tell me how and where to spend my money. This ain't going to happen, dude. Stewardship says that someday I'm going to stand before God and God's going to go, every penny you have, I gave to you. The use for me. What did you do? Some of us were going to go, um, I buried it. You know what burying your talent in the ground looks like? I can't find my bank card. Have you ever seen my bank card? My dog ate my bank card. I don't know, God. I don't know where it went. I just spent it. I just, just spent it. There's some people in our church who take this so seriously because it's easy to go, well, I'm accountable to God. God knows my heart. Who've taken this so seriously go, that's not enough. Do you know what they do? Once a month they get together and they actually show one another their checking books and their uh, credit card statements. They actually go, I want you to keep me accountable to make sure that I'm living as a steward, not owner. And they share with one another their checkbooks and their credit card statements The vast majority of us in here who are going, there's no way that I can show. That might be a very, very powerful sign that you are living as an owner and not as a steward. The thing that I'm learning, you guys, and I'm almost done here, about stewardship. Can I just be honest with you? Because I, to- I was told to tithe, you know. I told you guys I'm trying to do it with my kids. I was, when I was like three, four years old in Korea, you know, my, my parents would give me pegwon. Some of you Koreans, you know, pegwon. Pegwon is like, it's equivalent to like a nickel, you know. It's like a silver thing, you know. And my mom, I remember, I get my Bible and she'd go, come here. And she'd give me the thing and she'd go, this is from the Lord. And I, dick, you know, I was tithing, whatever. And I'd go and give to, the, you know. Um, but as I study the Bible, you know what stewardship is? Stewardship is not God. I'm going to tithe to you. and give. Stewardship is Everything belongs to you, 
everything comes from you, I want to honor you with everything I have. Everything belongs to you. Everything comes from you. I want to honor you with everything that I have. Everything belongs to you. Everything comes from you. I want to honor you with everything that I have. That's stewardship. So in case you maybe grew up in church or heard stewardship is about tithing, stewardship has no per- stewardship is not percent. Stewardship is, I want to honor you with everything that I have. Stewardship is, and this is up there, it's providing this marker today when you go home on your checkbook, on your credit card, on your car, on your house, on everything. It's saying everything that I have is provided by God. It belongs to God for his use only. Can I tell you something? If that happened in your life and you were serious about it, I guarantee it'll affect the presents that'll go under your Christmas tree this year. I guarantee you what you'll spend on Black Friday over Thanksgiving. I guarantee you you'll walk out and live. Everything belonging to God, everything provided by God for His use only. Everything. I travel quite often. And when I go, because I'm a lazy rat sometimes, I get people to drive me to the airport. Why don't you take the train, Peter? Don't judge me, okay? Anyway, <laughs> so I take the car. But to relieve my guilt, when people drive me, I let them use my car, you know, for three days, for a week. By the way, so if anybody wants, like, a car, you know, uh, next time, I, just let me know. You get my car for free. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. So when people come pick me up, pick, when people pick, pick, pick me up, can you imagine? And say, Barnabas drove me, you know, he drove me in his car, but if he used my car. Hey, can you imagine if Barnabas came back to pick me up, right, and my windshield wipers are torn off? You know, like there's a massive dent in the fender, you know, and the tire's raggedy and so on and so forth. Can you imagine Barnabas going, I'm like, what the heck did you do with my car? And Barnabas going, well, the engine's in good condition, though. I'd be like, Barnabas, Barnabas, it's not even your car. It's my car. Now, here's the thing. When I lend him my car, how much of my car, what percentage of my car do you think I expect him to take care of? 20%? 30%? At least the engine is running. When he comes back, I expect him to what? Take care of? 100. Why? It's not his car. God looks at you and me going, why are you acting like driving up in a windshield wiper, broken, busted up, dented car with that? Well, God, at least I kept the engine. It's not yours. What do you think, Percentages? Four questions. You struggle with the idea that everything you have belongs to God and ultimately comes from God? Does that offend your sensibilities? Are you a steward owner? Second question. What percentage of your spending goes towards your priorities and what percentage of your spending goes towards God's priorities? Third question. Who have you given permission to ask about your spending habits? By the way, if you're looking for a good person, I'm available. But you can't ask for mine. Okay, anyway, fourth. (laughs) I'm a terrible steward. Come on. Fourth. Do you give systematically, intentionally, and regularly somewhere? College students, can you raise your hands? You have no excuse for not giving intentionally, systematically right now. None. You're like, shoot, I shouldn't have raised my hand, right? None whatsoever. You know why? Two campaigns spent $6.2 billion because people give $5, $10, $15 gifts. You're telling me 
that you're a poor college student that can't give five, ten, fifteen dollars a month to some organization that's called, that's doing good for God. It has nothing to do with how much money you have. It's about the fact that you act like an owner and you're lazy. Fourth, can you pray? God, show me how to honor you with everything that I have. I surrender it all for the sake of your glory. Because here's the thing. If you and I come together and today go home and go, God, percentage, I got to be done with that. I got to be done with that. Some of you, seriously, you're like, but I tithe. Yeah, but you've been tithing since you were five years old. What do you still do now that you did when you were five? Grow up. You know what I mean? Grow up. Like, I tithe. I'm a good Christian. Give me a five years old. I have a pastor friend of mine who decided that he and his wife 10 years ago, he says, you know what? We were so convicted about this thing. We decided to give one additional percent per year. Every year we increased it. So this year they're giving 20% of everything they have to God's causes. I said, how you doing? Honest answer. This is to be corny. I said, how you doing? Peter, his name is Peter also. You know what he said to me? He says, my wife and I are more free and more joyful than we've ever been. Why? Because money doesn't hold us. Money doesn't enslave us. We're free. Do you still tithe and grow up? Why am I being so harsh today towards the end? Let me soften it up a little bit. What's that? I'm tired? Maybe. Because I get cranky when I'm tired. <laughs> oh, you know I love you guys. Um, some of you, when you pray this today, God... Help me to honor you. You know, God's going to come and go. You've been tithing since you were five. Come on. Isn't it about time you gave more generously? Some of you, you know, God's going to go. God's going to go. How can you be so poor in your money management? How can you have no idea where your money's going? You need a budget. You need a plan. It's about time for some of us. You know what God's going to say? Some of us, this is hard. Some of us, God's going to come and go, you need to sell that or you need to give that away because that thing is the main thing that's competing with you and me. And if you've ever been in a relationship where it was clear, like, he liked you, but he loved that thing, you know what this is like. This is hard for some of you, but today you need to go home and go, eBay, eBay time. I need to sell this. I need to get rid of this. Because this thing is competing with God. And you know what it is. You know what it is. Stewardship. With everything that we have, God, I want to honor you. Stewardship. With everything that I have, God, let's pray together. God, we uh, come together and I do pray for my brothers and my sisters. And God, in the quietness of our hearts in the next moment or two, Will you speak? Will you speak? And guys, can you just, before you rush out for the rest of the Sunday and your plans, can you just take a moment and just, as you pray this prayer, God, I want to honor you with everything that I have. I surrender it all. Just take a moment just to listen to God and see what God might say to you. What's he saying to you? What's he saying? God, I want to honor you 
with everything that I have. Holy Spirit of God, as we leave this place today, in the way that only you can, it's not about guilt, it's not about condemnation, only in the way that you can, Holy Spirit, of speaking truth into our hearts, into our souls, until we hear the voice of the Heavenly Father that says, I love you, you are my beloved child. Trust me. Trust me. As you go forth, remember the Spirit of God goes before you, behind you, and beside you. And that He Himself will empower you to do that only which He can do. Empower you to live radical, sacrificial, servant lifestyle. That the world will take notice of our God who is sacrificial, who is loving, and who is the greatest servant of all. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, and all God's people said, amen. Have a great week, you guys. We'll see you back here next Sunday.